Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Father, we want an encounter with you in this place today. God, as we focus on your son, as we focus on Jesus, on what he did for us on the cross, I want to pray for a morning of healing, a morning of deliverance, a morning of encounter. Jesus, be lifted up in this place. Holy Spirit, take your word and make it alive in our hearts. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, you may be seated. Um, so this morning, um, as I already mentioned, I want to I want to preach to you um, just a little bit out of uh, out of the the book that I wrote on the miracle table, and then we're going to come around the Lord's table and we're going to have communion together this morning. That sound good? Um, you know, as as I've been traveling, uh, I don't uh, preach on communion every meeting I do, uh, but occasionally if God puts it on my heart. Um, I'll share, and we've just seen God do some incredible things. I was telling uh, Pastor Phil last night, I preached, um, uh, the message I'm about to preach right now, I preached in a church in Norwich in January, and there's a lady in that, serve, uh, in fact, there were several people in that meeting um, who had been involved in witchcraft and, and the occult, and as they were taking communion, demons were coming out of them. Um, a few months before that, um, in our home church in Hull, uh, one of our worship leaders had had a, a problem with her back, uh, been in pain in her back for many years. And as she took communion, God just touched her and she was totally healed. Um, I was preaching uh, um, in a church in America and there were a couple in that meeting and, and the man was, uh, you know, loved God, on fire for God, uh, but his wife was did not have a real relationship with God. And, and he just kind of dragged her to church every Sunday. Um, and she came out and took communion after I preached. And God touched her heart and she got saved right there in the, in the, in the meeting. And he, he said to me, um, a few, I vis- revisited that church a few months later. He said, uh, it was said it was like being married to a new woman. God had done a, a great work in his home and his family. Um, I, again, I spoke at a church in, in the Northwest, um, and there was a lady in that meeting, and she came and took communion. Uh, she said, uh, she didn't go into details, but she said there was a stronghold in her life for something like 20 years. And she said, God just broke that in the meeting this morning as I, as I came and took communion. So uh, God's in the healing business, the deliverance business, uh, the, the restoration business, and uh, believing that God's going to do some great things this morning. If you've got a Bible, you turn with me to the book of Esther. In chapter 5, Esther chapter 5, and uh, we're, we're going to read uh, just a few verses together this morning, um, but before we do that, let me just give you a little bit of background into the story of Esther for those that may be not familiar with it. The story of Esther is set uh, not in Israel, which uh, a lot of the Old Testament is set in, but it's set in the kingdom of Persia where God's people have been taken into captivity. And the king of Persia, I say king, he's more like an emperor. Um, It's a guy called Xerxes. Everyone says Xerxes. It's like to hear people say all the complicated names. Um, 
King Xerxes is the emperor of Persia. This is a guy with incredible power, incredible authority, incredible wealth. He is, he is basically the world leader of his time. He, he has conquered other nations. Um, he's expanded his empire. He is one powerful guy. Now, at the beginning of the book of Esther, Xerxes is married to his queen, and her name is Vashti. Everyone say Vashti. Now, because of something that happens, which we'll we'll touch on uh, in a few minutes, Vashti is deposed of as queen. And so the king needs another queen, another bride. And so someone comes up with this idea, which I'm sure Xerxes was not complaining too much about. He said, bring all the beautiful women in the kingdom... And basically, your favorite is going to be the new queen. And there is a young Jewish girl called Esther or Hadassah. And she catches the eye of the king. And she doesn't reveal her race, her nationality, but the hand of God is upon her life. It's incredible. The book of Esther, I think it's the only book in the Bible where the name of God is not mentioned. You read it, God is not mentioned at all, and yet you can see the hand of God at work all the way through in in every verse. And so Esther becomes the new bride, the new queen. Now there's a man in the kingdom called Haman. Everyone say Haman. If if this was a panto, we'd all boo when we say Haman. Um, Haman is, to put it bluntly, a demon-possessed psychopath. Basically, he is a guy who hates Jews. He's like a modern day Hitler. All he, he, all he wants to do is eradicate the Jews. And Haman, because of kind of flattery and trickery, and he's a very manipulative guy, he worms his way in to basically becoming the prime minister of Persia, the second in command to the king. And he gets the king to pass a law that on a particular day, all the Jews in the entire kingdom are going to be exterminated. Who knows, if you're a Jew, that's not a good good idea. That's not a good thing. It's mass genocide. On this particular day, all the Jews are going to be wiped out. Now, there is a godly Jew called Mordecai. Everyone say Mordecai. Mordecai thinks, I've got to stop this. I've got to do something. The only problem is how on earth can Mordecai get into the presence of the king? He can't. He's never going to have that audience. But it just so happens that Mordecai's cousin is who? Queen Esther. And so he gets word to Esther. He says, Esther, you need to go into the presence of the king and you need to plead with him to overturn this law and save the Jewish people. And Esther says, well, it's not quite as simple as that. I can't just go walking into the king's presence unless I've been invited. In fact, if I do, and he doesn't hold out the golden scepter, which is a a sign of his favor, it's off with my head time. 
And Mordecai makes that famous statement where he says, look, if you don't go in, God will save the Jews somehow. God will always save his people. But you and your family will all perish. And then he makes that great statement that you've heard preached on many times. He says, who knows, but God has brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so Esther says to Mordecai, tell all the Jews to pray and fast for three days. And it's a total fast. Not only no food, but no liquid as well. This is a serious deal. Pray fast, total fast for three days. And on the third day, I will go into the king's presence. And if I perish, I perish. And that brings us to Esther chapter 5. And uh, let's read the first few verses. It says, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her. And he held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. Who knows that this is incredible favor? Can you imagine this morning, you going into the presence of the most powerful, most wealthy, most influential ruler on the planet And that person, you find in so much favor in their sight that they say, you can literally ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. Even up to half my kingdom, it's yours. And he had a big kingdom. Who knows that that is some serious favor. What would you do with that kind of favor? Just think about it for a moment. You don't need to answer out loud, but just think for a moment that, I don't know, Bill Gates or some billionaire or, you know, someone walked in who had incredible wealth and they got their checkbook out and said, Pastor Phil, name the figure. What would you ask for? You know, you can get your mortgage paid off. You can get a new car. You can get, you know, you can, uh, you, you could get your own desert island if you want. Uh, You could have anything you want. That is incredible favor when the king says to you, you can ask me for anything and it's yours. Now, who knows in the natural, that is just fantasy stuff. But who knows in actually in reality, that's what's happening right here this morning. Because who knows that this morning we are in the presence of not an earthly king, but we're in the presence of the king above all kings. The Lord above all lords, the name above all names. We're in the presence of the one who has all authority, all riches, all blessing, all favor. Who has a kingdom that is far greater than, than the kingdom of any man. One who is greater than any king, any prime minister, any president. And this morning as his bride, he has held out the golden scepter to you. And he has said, you can ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, you can pray for anything in my name and it's yours. Come on, someone, this morning. 
We're in the prayer. You were getting excited when I said if Bill Gates walked in here. Come on, the King of Kings is here this morning. You can ask me for anything. You can ask for healing. You can ask for salvation for your family. You can ask for favor, for provision, for for freedom. Whatever it is that you need this morning, the king is here with his scepter held out saying ask. In fact, he doesn't even offer you half the kingdom. He offers you the whole kingdom this morning. Come on, someone. So what are you going to ask for from Jesus? Who's got a need this morning? A need for their life, for their family, their kids, their finances, their health. Who needs a king to do something this morning? Well, we know that Esther had a pretty big need, right? Her people are about to be destroyed. And now the king says, you can ask me for anything. The only person who can stop it has just said, you can ask me for anything. So we know that Esther is about to speak up and plead for the Jewish people to be saved. Well, actually, read it. She doesn't even mention it. Let's read verse 4. Recap verse 3. The king asks, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be given you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, Come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. What a complete waste of an opportunity. The king says, you can ask me for anything. And Esther, I mean, really she should have been like, well, actually the Jewish people are about to be killed. Can you stop it? Even if she was totally selfish and wasn't bothered about the Jews, she could have at least said, you know, can I have a diamond ring or, you know, a new dress or whatever. Instead, she says, I'm cooking dinner tonight. Do you fancy coming along? It's like Bill Gates coming in this morning with his checkbook saying, you can ask me for anything. And you're like, I'm all right, Bill, but you want to go to Nando's after service this morning? I'm paying be like what a complete waste of an opportunity i mean can you imagine poor mordecai he's at home fasting and praying three days can you imagine esther gets home and mordecai's off praise praise yahweh you know you've you've not been killed and she says no it was incredible that he held out the golden scepter so he's like oh praise god god's heard our prayers what happened then? And she said, well, he said, I can ask for anything and he'd give it to me. I mean, Mordecai, he's, he's straight on the, the group WhatsApp page. He's, he's, God's answered our prayers. Esther, the king said, Esther can ask for anything. So he's like, so, so you, you spoke up and, and the, everything's okay. That whole Haman business, you've sorted it. He says, well, actually, I, f- I forgot to mention that. But I need to go to Sainsbury's and get a chicken. Because the king's coming for dinner tonight. I mean, Mordecai must have been banging his head against a wall in frustration. What are you playing at, Esther? So he's like, okay, well, maybe at dinner tonight, you'll get the opportunity. You know, we'll put on a bit of, you know, Rod Stewart in the background. And 
you know, you know, we'll, we'll dim the lights a little bit. Maybe you'll get another opportunity. And, and sure enough, it says this at verse, uh, verse five. Um, it says, so the king and Haman went to the banquet extra prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, now what is your petition it will be given you? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be granted. So now, not, not only does she get a once in a lifetime opportunity, but she's got it again. And so she says, Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, she's laying it on a little bit thick. Let the king and Haman come tomorrow to another banquet I will prepare for them. You think, Esther, what are you playing at? The Jewish people are about to be wiped out. I mean, Jesus is up in heaven thinking, come on, Esther, I can't be born unless you sort this out. And you're just playing dinner parties. But church, listen to me. Esther knew something that every woman knows. The way to a man's heart And Esther knew, if I can just get the king to the table, everything will be okay. If I can just sit at the table and have a meal with the king, everything will work out. How did the book of Esther begin? Esther chapter 1, we don't need to turn there. But it began with the king having a banquet. An incredible banquet with food and wine and incredible decor. It was just exquisite. But while the king was having his banquet, what was the queen doing? Vashti. She was having her own banquet. And I'm sure the food was nice. I'm sure the wine was nice. I'm sure that the table settings, everything was beautiful. But the presence of the king wasn't there. And do you know what? We've got churches all over our country, even this morning. They've got preaching. They've got great music, great buildings. But the presence of the king's not there. And the king said, send a messenger to Vashti. Tell her to leave her banquet and come to my table. And Vashti said, no. And it cost her her relationship with the king. See, we've got Christians all over the world who are eating at Vashti's table. They're going through the, the, the religious formula of coming and listening to a sermon, singing to a, a few songs, having a cup of tea, coffee, going home. Meanwhile, the king is saying, I want you to come to my table. I want you to have intimacy with me. I want you to come into my presence and have a moment of encounter with me. Friends, this morning, what we do, it counts for nothing unless we have an encounter with the presence of the king. 
Whose table are you eating from? Pastor Phil mentioned earlier on about those, those, two, those two gods that can compete for our attention. And, and again, the same analogy, it's like there's two tables. What is, what is it that you feed on? What is it that sustains you? Some people, their career sustains them. Some people, their hobbies, their interests, that's what they feed on. That's what satisfies them. Some people, it's football or sports, whatever it is. But meanwhile, the king is saying, I want you to come into my presence. It's only my word that can feed you. It's only my spirit that can give you life. It's only intimacy and communion with me that can truly satisfy. I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've ever eaten at a restaurant and it was your favorite restaurant in town. And you, every time, every opportunity you get, you go to that restaurant. And then one day you meet someone and they say, you know what? There's a better curry house, another part of town. There's a better steakhouse, another part of town. And you think, you know what? I don't believe that. But you go and check it out. And as you're eating, you realize, you know what? They were right. This is better. And I promise you one thing. You will never go back to that old place. Friends, when you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. When you have eaten his bread, these words of life. When you have drunk of the Holy Spirit. You will never go back to the things of the world. You will never go back to religion. Just attending church. It won't satisfy you. Only his presence satisfies you. Esther knew that the king craved communion. Vashti turned down the opportunity to dine with the king. Esther knew that's what his heart longs for. He longs for communion with his bride. And if I can satisfy that desire, he will satisfy my desires. Many times we come to church and it's about we want our needs met. We want our problems sorted. We want God to sort out our situations. Have you ever wondered, why does God come to church? What does God want this morning? Tell you, God's not come to listen to my preaching. God has come because he wants communion with his people. He wants intimacy with his people. Jesus said at the, the Last Supper, he said, I've eagerly desired for this. Now, don't get fixated with, with this that we might do once a week or once a month or whenever we do it. It's what this speaks of. It's a table because a table is a moment of intimacy. It's a moment where you get to share heart with people. If you're married here or, or you, you're with a partner here, I can guarantee one of the first dates that you went on, you went for a meal with your partner. Because it's there as you were sat at the table that you got to know each other. Uh, last night, me and Pastor Phil, we went out for, a, for an Indian. And we, we were just chatting about stuff. And we were talking about stuff that we would never talk about in, over the microphone on a Sunday. But, but there at the table, when there's food, when there's drink, you can get to know each other. There's, there's a deepening of relationship. There's, there's an exchange. There's a friendship. This is what this is all about, church. 
It's a moment for, for face to face with Jesus. It's a moment for intimacy, a moment for encounter. When you can pour out your heart to him, he can pour out his heart to you. It's a moment where you can gaze into each other's eyes and you can leave that place having a moment of encounter with the lover of your souls, with the king of kings, with Jesus. Although we may just do this occasionally on a Sunday, what this represents can be a lifestyle. A lifestyle of intimacy, of fellowship, of communion with Jesus. So Esther knew, if I can, if I can have communion with the king, if I can have a meal with the king, if I can get to the king to the table, everything will be okay. And so she set up the meal. The table was there, the, the, the food was there, the wine was there. And she set three seats up. One for her, one for the king, and one for Haman. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was holding a dinner party, I would not invite the guy who wanted to wipe out my entire race. I keep my distance from him. Anyone else? But listen, Esther knew something. If you don't catch anything else, catch this. Esther knew she was powerless to defeat Haman. But she knew, if I can get him to the table, the king will deal with him. If I can get Haman to the table... The king will sort it out. Who knows, there are some situations in your life that you are powerless to defeat. I mean, how on earth could a young Jewish girl overcome the second most powerful man in the empire? She couldn't. But the most powerful man in the empire could. So she knew, if my relationship with the king is right, if I create an environment where I'm in the presence of the king, and then I bring my enemy into that atmosphere, the atmosphere, the, the enemy has no chance. For he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies so in a, in a few moments in a few moments we're going to come to the table but this morning you're not going to come alone you're going to bring Haman with you who is your Haman this morning what is your Haman this morning this morning you are going to bring your Haman to the table your Haman may be sickness. Your Haman may be a financial need. Your Haman may be fear. Your Haman may be an addiction or a sin. Your Haman may be some stronghold in your life. Your Haman may be a family member who's turned their back on God. Whatever your Haman is, it may be a work situation. Whatever it may be, this morning, you cannot overcome your Haman. You've tried in your own strength to do it and it's not worked. So this morning, why don't we give the king a chance? 
Why don't we this morning bring our Haman to the table and say, King Jesus, sort him out, will you? Because the Bible says that on this occasion, the king said, okay, Esther, what's really going on? And Esther says that there's a man in your kingdom who's trying to destroy me and my people. And the Bible says, the king said, who would dare do such a thing? And wouldn't you love to just seen Haman's face <laughs> as Esther looked across the table and said, that vile Haman. The Bible says that the king was sat down and at that moment, he stood up in a rage. See, when you bring the enemy into his presence, God will arise and his enemies will be scattered. It says, the king, the king put his wine down and went into the garden. And while he was doing that, Haman began to beg for his life. You see, Haman's power was always in his words. Lies, manipulation... Who knows Satan's biggest weapon against you is his words. He's always speaking words of lies, words of fear, words of doubt. But when the king came back to the table, it says that they put a hood over his head. And he lost his ability to communicate. You see, Satan is silenced at the table. Because he has no answer to the body. He has no answer to the blood. The body speaks of his finished work. The, the wine obviously speaks of his precious blood. And the, Satan cannot speak when you show him the body. Satan cannot speak when you show him the blood. The blood has the final word. It is finished is the final declaration. Maybe people here this morning and Satan's whispering in your ear, telling you words of lies, words of doubt, words of accusation, words of fear. This morning you need to say, Satan, come here. Look at this. It is finished look at this satan the blood is against you and he has no response to the blood bible says that the king said well i've been in my back garden i've noticed someone's built some a gallows in there i mean you think he noticed right he said and they said oh haman built that for mordecai so the king said, hang him on that. Isn't it ironic that while Haman was hammering nails into the wood, thinking he was overcoming the Jews, he was actually building his own method of defeat. 
reminds me a little bit of Calvary 2,000 years ago. When Satan through the soldiers was hammering nails into the wooden cross. Not realizing the Bible says they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. If they'd realized they were building their own gallows. They were sealing their own fate. And Haman was hung on the gallows and the Jews never had to deal with him again. This may seem a little bit strange this morning, but I believe not only is there a table here, but there is a gallows here this morning. I believe this morning, I believe this morning we're going to hang some Hamans. I believe this morning there are some enemies in your life. There are some things that have come against you. And this morning we are going to see those things hung in the presence of God. You will never have to deal with that Haman again. Haman is going to be hung this morning, defeated, overcome in the presence of the king. Can someone say amen? amen. Just just real, uh, real quickly as I, as I just kind of draw this to a close and we're going to... God's going to do something this morning. I can sense that faith is, is in the room this morning. Bible says that the king gave all of Haman's estate and property to Mordecai. Who thinks that sounds like restoration? Taking from what the enemy has stolen, giving it back to God's people. Does anyone need God to do that this morning? And the Bible says that the king took his own signet ring the sign of his, of his authority, of his power, and he gave it to Mordecai. While the one who had been powerless, the previous verse, now has the authority of the king. God can do a lot. <laughs> right? God can turn a whole situation around. Then the king looked at the, the edict that Haman had written up announcing that on this day the Jews were going to be annihilated and the king said and this is important the king said I can't actually do anything about this he said this is written into law so he said what I will do is this I will make another decree you see what happens what the cross is what the blood is It's a new decree, a new testament, a new covenant that what was written against you, God doesn't forget that, he doesn't cancel that, but what he does, he makes a new decree that is more powerful than what was previously written. So some of you right now, you may have sickness in your life. That you can't change that. You can't do anything about that. But what has the king done? He's made another decree that by his stripes you were healed. Your bank balance may be empty. That's a fact. That's a, that's a, a truth. You can't change that. But the king has made another decree that, that, that he's your provider. That all your needs will be met according to his riches and glory. We could go on and on and on. That whatever your need, whatever is written against you, the king has made another decree. And his word is the final word. What he says is the most powerful thing. Do we believe that this morning? My, my uh, brother, uh, not my brother, uh, my son, um, Josiah, he loved, uh, no, he's not my son. I'm, Judah is my son. My brother's son is Josiah. <laughs> you can tell I've been away from home a few days. Forgot the name of my kids. 
My son Judah, he loves the story of the crucifixion. He's like, he, he's, he's five years old and he, it's all he wants to read. And um, I was putting it, we read it the other night and I was putting him to bed. He said, he said, Daddy, did Jesus get it wrong? And I thought, what kind of false doctrine has he been listening to here? Um, I said, what do you mean did Jesus get it wrong? He said, he said, well, he said it is finished. And yet there's all these problems in the world. Did he get it wrong? So I thought, well, it's a good job you're married to a you know, theologian, isn't it? So can answer that. I said, well, no, it, Jesus meant it when he said it is finished. But not everyone has received what Jesus has done. So shut up, go to bed. <laughs> and as I shut the door, I felt God speak to me saying, well, Andrew, did I get it wrong? Did I get it wrong when I called you? Did I get it wrong when I said I was your healer? Did I get it wrong when I said I was your provider? Did I get it wrong when I said I was with you and I was for you? Did I get it wrong when I, when I said all things are possible? What, did I get it wrong when I spoke words of, of hope and destiny and promise over your life? I thought, no, Jesus, you didn't get it wrong. You made another decree that supersedes whatever I'm going through right now. The end of the story is this, that the second decree, the king gave permission for the Jews to take up arms against their enemies. I, they love it when I say that in America. <laughs> the king gave them permission to arm themselves. All the Americans are like, glory to God. <laughs> We knew it was in the Bible. <laughs> but what did he do? He, he empowered them against their enemies. You see, there are some enemies that the king will hang straight away. But then there are some enemies that you have to deal with a little bit longer. But what does he do? He gives you power against the enemy. Because at the table, he anoints your head with oil. There are some of you, you've got enemies you're going to be facing this week. But the king is going to anoint you and empower you at his table to overcome the enemy. And with this, I'm finished. Where is it? Let me find it. In chapter, chapter 9. It says, on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. And I love this. Listen to this. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped... To overpower them. But now the tables were turned. And the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. Who's up for flipping some tables this morning? Who's up for turning the tables on the enemy? The enemy thought he'd won. The enemy thought he'd got you. The enemy thought that he limited you and restrict you and he'd, he'd, he'd planned, his plans were about to be enacted against you. But this morning we're going to turn the tables on the enemy. You're going to leave this place healed, whole, victorious, an overcomer. Because we've been in the presence of the king. Why don't we stand together this morning? Or if the worship team can come out.
Why don't you just close your eyes right now where you are? You know, the book of Esther is one of the most powerful stories of deliverance in the Bible. Esther literally saved an entire race of people. And God's people, she saved them. God's plan of salvation through Jesus could have ended. I know God wouldn't have allowed it, but it could have ended right there through Haman. But Esther literally saved the day. Esther never preached a sermon. Never gave a prophetic word. Never did a miracle. And yet she's one of the greatest deliverers in the Bible. What did she do? Cooked a good meal for the king. Had dinner with the king. And that moment of intimacy... It touched the heart of a king and saved an entire race. Literally, government policy was changed because Esther. I mean, you talk about saving governments, saving nations, God being involved in politics. Esther, she's the blueprint. She didn't do it through protesting outside Houses of Parliament. She didn't. She didn't go around with banners or you know chaining herself to the railings or anything like that with a you know stop Haman T-shirt. She had communion with the king, and God saved a nation. I'll tell you one moment of communion with the king. It can change nations. It can overturn governments. It can change the hearts of emperors. One moment of communion with the king can see your enemy defeated. Your enemy silenced. The tables overturned. God speak a new word into your life, into your circumstances. God, it is all about intimacy with you. That's what the king wants this morning. Sometimes we can come to church, we can be so need focused that we forget to be presence focused. Focus on his presence right now. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes we would love you to leave us some feedback God bless and goodbye